podcast. My name is Charlie McMahon. I'm with Lori Horseman. And Lori, last month, uh, last episode, I should say, we talked about why do people living with dementia do what they do? And there's a certain, uh, there, 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 there are re- reasons, chemical reasons why that's happening. But the effect upon this, the caregiver is going to be a loss of control. You're now having to care while grieving because you're losing that person. You're losing control over your life. Your, mm-hmm. your day is just not going to go the way you planned it. And for all of our control freaks out there, we hope that this gives <laughs> hope to you because there is, there is a specific pattern that you can embed into your life. Right. And even uh, diagnosing the life of your your vic- victim loved ones patterns that mm-hmm. you can look at those and find some hope in that. So we want to talk about that today in this episode titled "Sequencing and Control." Oh, we use the example of of talking to Eric, your husband, about um, showering. Explain that. So okay. just the simplest action of, again, our brain goes into chunking. We do these things habitually, almost forget that we do them. But there is a very specific sequence to yes. the things we do, like brushing our teeth, showering, eating, yeah. et cetera. So take, for example, the sequencing pattern within showering and why it's important to know that. Okay. So this is something that I actually teach on my caregivers. And my husband was sitting there while I was putting this together and he goes, well, everybody just takes a shower. And I'm like, no, there is a strategic way that you do yours and I do mine and everybody does theirs. So I said, for example, walk me through. If I had to write down step by step, he goes, I just turn on the water and hop in. I'm like, no, you don't. I said, what do you do first? He goes, oh, well, I turn the water on and then I close step out of the door and then I take my clothes off and I'm like, so how hot do you like your water? Is it tepid? Is it warm? Mm -hmm. Is it scalding? Are you cooking? Can I smell smoke coming off of you? How hot do you want that? He goes, oh, well, pretty hot. I said, then when you step in, do you go face first into the shower or do you go sideways or back in? And he goes, gosh, I never thought about that. So he goes, I go shoulder and then I face it. I'm like, okay, then what's the next thing do you do? Do you wash your face or do you wash your hair first? Do you shampoo your hair? He goes, well, so he starts thinking about this. And the reason this matters is that if I should have to be his caregiver and I don't do this the way his brain has sequenced him to do it, he won't feel like it's been completed. Hmm. And therefore, I'm just rushing through it, shampooing you here. And I say, do you shave in the shower? Do you shave when you get out? Everybody does it differently. Mm-hmm. You know, some women shampoo their, you know, they do a dry brush and then they have, it matters how mm-hmm. you do it. So it's like even just brushing your teeth. Something as simple as that. I said, do you get your toothbrush wet? And then do you put the toothpaste on and then wet it again? Or do you just go straight toothpaste into your mouth? Which I can't do that. But it's like, if I was trying to help you with this, your hand is automatically going to reach out as I'm guiding it. Like, no, this is supposed mm. to come next. And if I miss a step, you will not feel as though it's completed. Because what sundowners is truly in our brain is we feel like we've missed a beat. Yeah, so explain that. Like, what, you, uh, what would you say is a definition of sundowners? Okay, so sundowners truly, you know, typically happens in the afternoon. And yes, it's usually about the time the sun's going down and it got its nickname from the sun going down. So you you started Mm -hmm, to feel like you've mm -hmm. lost control. And it's a lack of control because something during the day didn't sequence out the way it was supposed to. Not unlike if you were to wake up late 
and you don't get your morning coffee and something got missed and you couldn't let the dog out or, or you didn't take your normal morning run and you had to skip all that. Skipping all of that might sound like it's inconsequential, but it literally triggers your brain the rest of the day like something's missing, something's mm. missing. I didn't get this done right. So at the afternoon, you're like, man, I feel like I'm running behind schedule all day. Even though you've made the noon meeting and you did the 2 o'clock this and you got that done, your brain feels out of step the whole day. So what sundowners is in a brain that has dementia is they feel like they've forgotten to do something important. So women automatically go to the family. That's where it comes with us, our identity. I got to get the kids off the bus. I forgot to pick my son up. I've got to get dinner started. My kids are looking for me. So we start, you know, festering over that. Men have a tendency to go with their jobs. They start thinking they missed an appointment. They've got to get somebody. So they start literally the brain starts to fester on this and ruminate. Hmm. over something's missing because the sequencing didn't happen. Their normal daily routine didn't mm. happen. That's all it is. Mm. But you as a fully functioning adult brain have the same thing. If something didn't happen in your day the way it was supposed to, you're completely out of lockstep mm -hmm. for the rest of the day. Yeah. So, you know, the, 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 the brain, obviously, one of the things that we know about the brain is it seeks efficiency. It mm -hmm. seeks efficiency by chunking. So, oh, okay, we're doing this brushing the teeth, eating dinner, mm -hmm. taking a shower, etc. So we have, on the one hand, the victim who is really feeling incompletion when those things don't sequence the way they're supposed to. But again, focusing on what our caregiver listeners can take from this podcast, what's important for the caregiver in terms of sequencing themselves? So we're, we're certainly cognizant of the need for the victim of, of these ravaging conditions to, to be helped. But I, I want to think about for a minute, we talk about controlling the controllables. Mm -hmm. When they're, they're now in the loss of control, what are the controllables for the caregiver? So understanding that you can't control the disease. And that's that's a form of control. That's yes. surrender. You're going to have to let Correct? go. Correct? Yes. So I want everybody to hear that. Surrender is, is a, a form, form of controlling what you can control. Right. You have to surrender to the fact that this disease is going to progress at its own rate. But what you can do is, now this is going to change, because just as soon as you get this routine down with your loved one, it's going to flip as soon as that disease progresses through the brain. But what you can control is establishing a daily routine, a daily rhythm, a dance, if you will, for that person who has dementia, because now you're giving them back their sense of control. So you have to get the sequencing right. You have to figure out how do they like their teeth brushed? Which order do they like to get dressed? Do they want to eat breakfast before they get dressed for the day? You mm -hmm. have to follow their sequence. Mm. When you let go of what you think it has to be and you let them have their sequencing, their flow, the way they want it, their daily routine, now you have some control over the day. Because then once they feel like they're in control, your day gets much easier. What do you what do you say? Let's just stop on that one for a minute because um I think one of the things in having talked to you about this for a couple of years now is just the realism you bring. My spouse doesn't want to brush his teeth. Okay. He's, he's refusing to brush his teeth. What? Because what, now, what do you do? What do you do as a caregiver? Like, I, I know it's going to be bad for him if he loses, you know, oral health, et cetera. Et cetera. Oral hygiene stuff. Exa yeah, it's tough exactly. to do. So, so is that a common? Yes. Is that a common? Very common. Yeah. What do I do? 
it can become a sensory issue too, but at the same time, you know how your teeth feel really gross if you haven't brushed mm -hmm, your teeth for mm -hmm. a while. So this is a pretty common thing. So the technique that I'm going to share with you is a couple of them is that the first thing you might want to do is, you know, go side by side with them. Get your toothbrush out and start brushing your teeth and kind of make it look like you, you want to do this too. It's the same way you do with a child because they're watching you and you, you can have the toothbrush that does the singing thing. You can make this kind of fun, but you also want to make sure now you're bringing a toothpaste that if he swallows it because he doesn't remember to spit, yeah. it's fine. So go get the kid's toothpaste. Yeah. Um, you also might be a, a taste issue. I had to make sure my dad's toothpaste tasted a certain way and then he'd actually brush his teeth. He didn't like it if it tasted weird. And he didn't like mint. So I'm like, so I kept looking for different toothpaste. Was it toothpaste that he had used or no? It was, was it, it a was different? It was that he had before, but now he didn't. So I literally went old school and dad ended up liking the taste of fennel, which is like a licorice type of taste. And now he would brush his teeth. Okay. So I would just dip okay. it in and like, boom, there we were brushing our teeth now. So, but I did a monkey see monkey do type of thing. Dad okay. wanted to be able to do it for himself. So I would do it in front of him with my toothbrush and then I would point mm. to his and then he'd be like, oh, because he couldn't figure out which way the bristles went. Am I supposed to hold on to those or do those mm. go on my teeth? So it was simply just watching me do it and then he would do it with me. How long did you do that? If I, if I may ask, how long um, did that? That was a few months of doing it like that. And then when the kids were little, you know, they would be brushing. We made it into a game. Yeah, we we're all okay, going to brush our okay, teeth. Okay, so it's yeah. like we were all doing it. So you want to do it too. So, yeah. and I even have sometimes my caregivers, I'm like, carry a toothbrush around your pocket. So when you're trying to put people to bed and it's time to brush their teeth and they don't want to say, let's go brush our teeth, mm -hmm. not you, mm -hmm. not all about you. Because the other part too, is that we want to be a part of something. We don't necessarily want to be taken care of because mm -hmm. we don't think we need to be taken care of. One of the things that, that I think you bring is such a, you know, be sensible. I remember, I remember when you told me, um, it was an aha when you told me that, oh no, dad, mom died 12 years ago. Mm -hmm. Don't say that no. because you're making, they're, they're experiencing that death again yeah. for the first time. Yeah. And I was like, oh my gosh, that makes so much sense when it comes to these battles over brushing teeth and eating and what's the common sense controllable then take that there is, let's it keep going with that it doesn't have to happen this very second okay let go of your timetable time means nothing to them okay there is no sense of time at this point they're just kind of free floating because time is linear for us that have a fully functioning brain it's not for them they can be in the 1980s 1950s 2000s all in the same mm. day so that doesn't mean anything to them. You're the one that wants them to brush this teeth, their teeth at this point. Stop. Pick and choose your battles. That doesn't have to happen right this second. We can do it later this afternoon. We can turn it into a game when they're ready to receive it. But they're going to be ready to receive it when they feel like they're back in control. So yeah. you pick and choose your battles. If you know something is going to be a trigger, then get out in front of it. Mm -hmm. and avoid that trigger at all. It's not unlike when you had a two-year-old and that two-year-old dictated the entire schedule for the family. You didn't take the two-year-old out into the public when it was nap time. Do the same thing for uh, this okay. person who has dementia. I love that. I love that because most people can identify with with that yeah. analogy. The person with dementia needs to stay It's not insulting. It's no. just the reality of what you're living no, in right now. No, it's their communication ability to understand. So they go back to that communication ability. The brain literally goes through retrogenesis and goes backwards. You go from being a fully functioning adult. You keep all your problem-solving skills. But what happens is your communication skills dwindle all the way back to that of almost a two-year-old. So you have all those basic needs. You know I need to go to the bathroom, but how do I solve this problem? So as a two-year-old, you can't communicate what you need. 
mm-hmm. but you're still going to get what you need. You might mm-hmm. throw a temper tantrum. Mm-hmm. Well, that's all a behavior is. It's mm-hmm. just I have an unmet need and I need help. Mm-hmm. And I can't communicate to you the words bathroom. So just watch the body language. Figure it out. Every two hours, if it goes in, it's got to come out. Mm-hmm. Just mm-hmm. put them on a schedule that makes sense for them, that gives them back a sense of their control, purpose, and validation. Because mm-hmm. when we start treating them like they're a thing that no longer is a human being, that's not going to work. Mm-hmm. And your energy is everything that you bring into this. Now, I love the analogy of the two-year-old because, again, a lot of people can identify with that. Now, let's go back on that. So let's let's say we've already we've already we've already experienced what it was like to have a two-year-old, mm-hmm. and now we want to be people who prepare for this oncoming reality of another two-year-old's coming. And we've learned some things. Mm-hmm. In Player's Box, we talk about the fact that on the emotional cliff, the mental cliff, there's one thing better than the ambulance at the bottom of the cliff. It's the fence at the top. What For our listeners now who are listening to Mind Hope, because I I have a concern. I have a concern that we could enter into this reality, and I want to prepare. I want to build a fence at the top. What are the practical things for both? Let's, Let's go first. For, for the potential of, I, I feel like I'm sliding into dementia, and then the caregiver of that person. So let's start with that. What are the things, if you think that you're losing control of your faculties, mm-hmm. what are the things, again, and we're, we're reviewing some basics here, some preventative fence at the top of the cliff basics mm-hmm. for those who fear I may be losing some control. Okay. Again, we're reviewing. We're reviewing some things here, but let's just go back. Do not hide it. Do not think that ignoring this is going to make it go away. Do not think that admitting to this is some way, in any way, shape, or form, you know, admitting defeat. You need to bring it out into the open as soon as possible because, like I said, all the drugs we have on the market are designed for the first couple of years, and most people hide this stuff. Second thing you're going to need to do is talk to your doctor and make some serious changes in your lifestyle. Um, Your lifestyle can speed this up. Or slow this down. We like, so like, much. like. Let's go get over those again. All the, right. The, so, the yeah. eating, drinking, stop stuff. drinking your diet drinks and drinking anything and eating anything with aspartame in it because it speeds it up. Watch the sugar; it'll speed it up. Start cutting it out of your life as fast as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's a heart healthy diet is a brain healthy diet. Diets that reduce, in, you know, inflammation reduce inflammation in your brain, and essentially that's what dementia is going to trigger. Um, you then also have to start being more physical with your exercises. You want to get in physical exercise every single day because your brain needs oxygenated blood and you don't get it. Mm. During mm. The course. You get it more to your feet than you do to your brain. Mm. Um, then you need to start doing some brain exercises and really challenging and figuring out what part of the brain is slipping and then doing some exercises to kind of remap it. Strengthen it back up, get it going, and have the other side balanced out with you. And we've covered those in some a couple past episodes mm-hmm. One that stands out to you, that one is that right here, right now, uh, a game that you go, man, this this covers a lot of territory. A big one that covers a lot of territory is anything having to do with words. So if like the one that I'm noticing really works well is if I give you like 16 letters and I need you to make a word out of that or four letters and I need you to make a word out of that as fast as you can and putting on a speed drill. So the faster you can do it and the faster you can figure out what that word is and then recall what it is. That's great. Okay. Because good. most all chemical based dementias start on the left lobe, and the left lobe is your language. It's your learning. It's where um, it's your words. It's all of your processing for understanding English, you know, your English language, pulling it back out, saying the word. Because, like, for example, when I realized that something was slipping with my dad, is I took him to a restaurant. He looked at a menu that had no words on it. He goes, There's nothing here to eat. 
He only only had words on it. There were no pictures. There's nothing here to eat, Lori. What am I supposed to eat? And I'm like, well, Dad, there's pot roast right there. And he goes, where? I don't see it. Because the words weren't making any sense to him what it said. He needed a picture. And that was a moment for you. Like, whoa. He can't see those words and know what they mean. Mm -hmm. He read the word, but he did not, you know, he could not make a visual picture of what that word meant. Yeah. So yeah. that's what you want to start doing is you want to start exercising that left part of the brain really hard and okay. you want to start putting it to speed drills. Okay, let's move to the caregiver now. So I'm, I'm, I'm feeling like that my, my loved one is losing control. Mm-hmm. I want to build a fence at the top of that cliff for me. Okay. So again, what are those three, four, five things that you say, here's how we build that controlling the controllables preventable fence mm-hmm. at the top? So you're going to do all those things, make sure that that person got those things done. And then you're going to have to pay very close attention to their daily routine. Okay. Because in a minute, you're going to be the one executing that daily routine for them. Okay. I had to start paying attention to how dad actually did the whole coffee thing. You know, how he would make his coffee. Well, how did you know that? Just because of your training, you were... I just was watching that, you know, I'm getting this wrong. So common sense is if I'm getting it wrong, let me watch how he's doing it on a good day. And I literally had notes on how the man liked mm-hmm. things. You know, yeah. what came first? You know, the shower would click on. He'd pour the water in the coffee pot, get that ready. He'd take a shower, and then he'd come back. And I'm like, got it. You know, it was always the same damn cup. Yeah, and if yeah, I didn't yeah, get the right yeah. cup, he wouldn't drink the coffee. Yeah. I'm like, wow. oh, gosh, this matters to him. Wow. So why would I fight him? Because like a two-year-old, I had a neurology professor once tell me, the two-year-old's brain has no give a damn. So if you're going to argue with a two-year-old, you Mm -hmm. will lose that argument. Mm -hmm. So why would you argue with somebody who has dementia? Mm -hmm. What's the point of that? They're not going to come over to seeing it your way. Mm -hmm. So instead of arguing with him, I went to his world, literally, saw it how he saw it, and figured out how he wanted it. And once I did that, there was so much more peace in both of our days. And when there was peace, Dad trusted me. Because as long as we were conflicting with each other, Dad's not going to trust me. And if he can't trust me, I can't care for him. Mm-hmm. So as long as he realized that I brought the peace and the calm, he trusted me then to do whatever he How needed. How long did you sustain that? 18 months. Were you at the end of your rope at the oh, end of that 18 months? Yeah. I was at the end of my rope nine months in. What Do you have a number that is a general sustainability number, or is it just so individual? It's, some people five years, some people two months is it but what is the as a person who's who's living in that reality right now what do they need to look out for in terms of this because it is a marathon it is and uh, not everybody's an ultra marathoner no you know this is very individualized i always tell people that first of all there's 120 types of dementia and they're going to progress at all different speeds some progress in five years some 30 um this is an individualized thing and there is no shame in this when you find yourself at the point asking, when is it time to call in help? When is it time to consider moving them into an assisted living? When is it time? You're there. Mm. You're there. Mm-hmm. Because, and there's no shame in that. None. Mm-hmm. We've got to get past that. Because I know you said for better or for worse, but this wasn't part of the equation. Mm-hmm. And you're not abandoning them. You know, that promise that you made that I never put you in a home, you're not putting them in that place. The places that exist right now are designed for these people. They're designed to support them, put a protective barrier around them, and give you back your peace of mind. Wow. Wow. When you got to the end of that run, as you look back, what are the what is what is something you're glad you did? 
you're really glad you did this? I'm glad that I let dad go through this journey at his own pace. I'm glad that I let him call me his sister and then call me his wife and then call me his mother. I'm glad I let him look at me how he needed to see me. I'm glad that I just listened to his stories. Yeah. Because I have no idea if they're true or not, but it's pretty cool, the guy that I met. Yeah, yeah. Is there anything you say, hey, if I'm candid, I wish I'd have done differently? Is there anything? Oh, yeah. Um, Not not to live with regret. Because I don't don't ever get the sense that you're living with any regret. I'm not. But what is, yeah, I think I would have done this differently. I think in the beginning, instead of fighting that this can't be happening, because I wasted so much time, on that, I think I would have researched quickly the type of de- dementia he had because they told me it was Louis yeah, bodies. Bodies, yeah, bodies. Yeah, And I didn't know what that meant. I think I would have researched that quickly with him and made him part of that care plan with him okay. as opposed to thinking While I While he had was to, still very lucid yes. and articulate. Yes. And, because yeah. I think by okay, doing what great. I did, I made him feel belittled or mm. small. And mm-hmm. that we had to... And no shame on you for that. Yeah. That's just something that yeah. you would... That you would do differently. Yeah, I would do it differently. I would be make him a part of this with me and ask him more because he had moments of lucidity because Louis Bodies is a um, fluctuation disease. And when he had his moments of lucidity, I would ask him questions like, what does this feel like? How are you feeling? And that was pretty amazing what he would tell me. Well, one more time. Um, you're sitting across us. You're sitting across to someone who's like in the middle of the storm. You, you look across the table at them and you grab them by the shoulders and you say what to them today? And maybe something you've already said, but just reiterating. You're not going to be able to stop what's happening. And I need you to let go of how you think it's supposed to be. Okay. And then just kind of center yourself for what's coming. You need to ask for peace. And it was always thy will be done. I literally yeah, had yeah. to keep saying that yeah, over surrender. and over again. And, you know, You can't see ahead. You just need to see enough light for that very moment. The rest of it will figure itself out. But the thing that I want to tell you is like, stop arguing. Stop arguing with the reality of the situation. Stop Mm -hmm. trying to force this person back into their box. They can't go back. Introduce yourself to that new person every single moment and receive what they're giving you. Wow. Lori, that's some amazing stuff, and we appreciate how you're taking, I mean, the, I, I, the most influential people in the world are people who have taken their pain and surrendered it to Christ and say, now, Christ Jesus, use this. And boy, is that happening through your life, because that pain that I can see, when you talk about your dad, the pain that's there, man, is that being utilized now? It's, it's not wasted. No. Right? It's not wasted. Lori, thanks so much. Until next time on the Mind Hope podcast, this is Charlie McMahon and Lori Horseman.